do want to express uh, my appreciation for your prayer and attention at the passing of my father. Um, I'm very thankful for God's gifts to me and my family through my father. And uh, I'm well content with God's love and affection. And thank you. you the Bible uh, there, within your reach, Turn to page 1169. Colossians chapter 2, page 1169. We hear the reading of God's word, um, verses 18 and 19 of the second chapter. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, Going on in detail about visions, puffing, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Pray with me. Lord, your word does not go forth and return to you void. Your word touches in the desert and makes the place verdant, buzzing with life. You've sent your son, the word of salvation. Lord, glorify him. Speak his name full to our hearts that we would rejoice in this life with him that those yet dead would rise again even today. We pray in your son. Amen. Christians, listen. Do not give up on earthly worship. Your head, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the heavenly place, and his order, his liveliness, and his glory are at work in your earthly worship. This passage is about worship. Paul speaks about God's people in their simplicity, called to worship. Christian, listen. Do not give up on earthly worship. Your head, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the heavenly place. And his order, his liveliness, and his glory are at work in your earthly worship. The lie focuses on angels. The truth is fixed on Christ. The false teacher has visions and his sensuous mind. Paul has faith and the whole body. According to Paul, faith unites you to the incarnate Christ and engrafts you into his earthly body. That unified body is first and foremost 
the temple of God, the place of his worship. Hear and believe. Hear these words of Paul from Ephesians. Just picking up from where we read before. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let no one disqualify you. Paul is quite serious. Don't listen to the liars who say your worship is too earthly, too ordinary, too much like everyday life. Just like salvation, worship requires only three things. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and your neediness. Worship needs nothing more profound, nothing more holy, and nothing more heavenly. Do not give up on earthly worship. Your head, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the heavenly place. And his order, his liveliness, and his glory are at work in your earthly worship. This was the controversy at Colossae. It was the same kind of profound, holy and heavenly foolishness that provoked the Protestant Reformation. And as strange as it may seem, the same nonsense today models Christian worship after rock concerts and political rallies and group psychotherapy. These people will dismiss your plain and ordinary worship because it ignores their tradition or their cultural analysis or the latest findings of trauma research, they will say your worship doesn't work because you do not know the deep things which they treasure. What I am declaring to you is today uncommon among Christians. It may sound very odd compared to others an observer might label all this idiosyncratic. A preacher is a steward and a servant. And the one thing he must not do is be idiosyncratic. He must not deliver his individual and private take on things. The English Standard Version, the translation that we use here in our Pew Bible, is excellent. But in these two verses, the translation is idiosyncratic. It differs from other modern translations, but even more significantly, it differs from the translations of previous centuries, but from the 1500s down to 1977. To open this part of God's word to you, I need to assert three corrections of this ESV translation. I'm not doing this to be erudite, but to deliver Paul's instruction. First, the word asceticism. No other, no other translation 
uses this word. Another modern translation in the 70s uses a near sin of self-abasement. All other translations use either the English word humility or humbleness. Now, outside the New Testament, this Greek word signified dishonor. The social standing of lowliness as a slave or an impoverished wretch. The gospel, in fact, revolutionized this Greek word. Following the example of Jesus, from how Jesus spoke of this. This word for social dishonor became a standard New Testament word for the virtue of humility. And the ESV actually translates this word just so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Quote, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So rather than asceticism, the false teaching in Colossae insists on the lowliness and the worship of angels. Now the second correction I put forward here is not so obvious, but it is decisive. What is worship of angels? There are two possibilities. It could mean giving worship to angels instead of God, which is what the ESV decides, and obviously Paul would reject that. Or the phrase could mean worship performed by angels, which we actually see in the Bible. An example is at the birth of Jesus. When his advent is announced to the shepherds in Luke 2, quote, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. <coughs> Historians have learned much more about first century Jewish religion philosophy. Angels were very important to these thinkers. But they would be revolted at even a suggestion of offering worship to angels. So not asceticism, humility or lowliness, not angels who are worshipped, but the worshipping that angels perform. And here's the last correction. Instead of going on in detail about their visions, the King James Version all the versions before this modern period renders the verb intruding or going in. The Greek verb is used in both ways in different contexts. Going into great detail is for straightforwardly recounting a story or explaining a subject. Intruding signifies entering a place and even taking it as your own. Modern translations like the ESV uniformly make this a matter of information. But the older translations, before the 70s, all the way back to the ancient Latin, they depict the false teacher as entering, as going inside his vision, somehow moving into what he saw. And this actually should be familiar to you. 
This entering is like what John does in Revelation 4, verse 1. Quote, After this I looked and beheld a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And John enters in. He goes into the vision that is the bulk of the book of Revelation. So of these three points, humility, angels worshiping, entering, I am correcting the ESV. Most importantly, I can show you in the Old Testament this three-piece kind of thing that Paul is opposing. That these three appear together in Scripture. Now remember, Paul is not opposed to the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, but Paul rejects treasuring the Old Testament instead of trusting Christ. These foolish Jewish philosophers begin with the Old Testament and turn it into a destructive religion. There are many sources, patterns, and innovations in first century Jewish thought. But when they speak of angels, one text comes to mind from which much, much springs. And that's Isaiah chapter 6. Listen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Just make four simple observations with me. One, Isaiah has a vision that takes him inside the temple. He enters. Two, Isaiah sees angels, the seraphim, that are humble, even really lowly in subjection. In God's presence, these angels cover their faces, and cover their feet. Three, these angels worship, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And fourth observation, Isaiah is undone, ashamed. Now this is God's word, this is God's Revealing himself, calling to his people to the world. But the false teaching starts with these observations and perverts worship. Given the examples we have of other first century Jewish philosophical speculations, there's a lot more to their twisted view of worship. And these things aren't just suggestions. These claims are rooted 
in secret knowledge, visions. They declare real worship only happens when you follow the arcane process and procedures stipulated by the super spiritual and super insightful and super worshiping guru or group with the divine secret gift of knowledge. So while there's much there, Paul only picks up three details that specifically reject. Three things that might actually persuade you, Christian, to buy this religious fakery. One, it seems obvious that we should worship like angels, sinless, in God's very presence, declaring his glory. No. Angels and men are very different. Two, this worship claims to enter God's temple. Isn't that the gold standard? Don't we all want to enter in like that? No. The temple and the church are very different. Three, isn't humility the most obvious quali qualification for worship? Shouldn't we cover our faces before his holiness? Shouldn't we cover over our dirty feet or whatever is obviously earthly about us? No. The twisted humility they shove off on you is not like the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the bride of Christ. Jesus does not want your face covered. Do not give up on earthly worship. Your head, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the heavenly place. And his order, his liveliness, and his glory are at work in your earthly worship. These religious fools fail because they do not hold on to Christ. They had the scriptures that promise and declare him, but instead of grasping hold of the head, they puffed up their own minds with speculations and visions. They fabricate a sham fulfillment to the scriptures. They have some kind of imaginary, mystical, mechanical nonsense of no worth by which they claim to enter and stand with the angels. The true fulfillment rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He does not cover his face. He does not cover his feet. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He stands to intercede for you. Hold on to him. And even now, you have a heavenly view. You have a heavenly place. It's not surprising that Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed in the heavenly places. Still, our worship is earthly. We do not see angels. We do not see the spirits of the saints who have already died. We do not see with our eyes the Christ. We do not feel or smell or hear the glory and splendor and depth of God's heavenly throne room. By faith, we hold on to our head. By faith, we worship on earth. In earthly worship, you receive even now 
the heavenly benefits of your head, his order, his liveliness, his glory. Every male in Israel traveled to the temple three times a year. All sacrifice and thanksgiving huddled around that holy building. Only Levites and priests entered into the holier sections of the temple. Only the high priest, once a year, with blood, could enter the Holy of Holies, the place of God's presence. This temple was the perfection of divine order on the earth. Designed according to God's holy requirements, crafted by the workmen with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy of Holies, the place of God's presence, held the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark's lid were two statues, angelic figures, referred to as cherubim. With wings stretched out over the ark. And very specifically, according to Exodus, first when commanded, second when reported to be fulfilled. With those statues, towards the mercy seat, the faces of the cherubim be. The faces of the cherubim in the Holy of Holies are averted from God's gaze, similar to those covered faces in Isaiah 6. The temple was a display of God's holy and perfect order. On earth, most visible and most significantly, when gathered for worship, our head has formed a body. He has brought it together with fitting of bone to bone and joints, and the holding together of ligaments and muscle. An order that is not static like a building, but one that grows. Gathered for worship, you can see what our head has done. Quote, the whole body, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. This is the same language that Paul uses to describe the church as God's new temple. We read before Hebrews 2, excuse me, Ephesians 2. Quote, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The temple was the paragon of God's order and the single unique center of any and all true worship. The body of Christ, gathered for worship, is earthly, but the product of Christ's heavenly ruling order. The body is not only unified and tenderly connected the body of Christ is the temple. The body of Christ is God's dwelling place. When we are gathered together, God meets with us, no matter how ordinary any and all of it may seem. Fools look to see angels in worship. We, holding 
us to Christ by faith and shaped by the instruction of his word, we are the place where God is met. Angels look to see you in worship. Not only does our heavenly head work the order of true worship in us, he brings a heavenly liveliness into earthly worship. We are being, Paul says, nourished from hunger to fill, from weak to strong, from fuzzy-minded to bright and alert. What happens to us earthly people comes from his ascended authority, his place over all things. He is ruling as a man for men. That liveliness is in stark contrast with the stone beauty of the temple. Your faith and your supplications and your confession of sin, your pleas for effective correction and your praise and your wonder, all of this in your hearts and back and forth between us, this is a liveliness more beautiful than that stony perfection. On earth, this heavenly liveliness, this animate reconciliation with God, this audible adoption to his household, this in the chair next to you, a holy saint. On earth, this is the liveliness that the body has from its head. Your worship is earthly, invigorated with heavenly blessings. Our heavenly head has ascended into glory, subjecting all things to himself, honored as victorious over all things, celebrated as the delight of heaven. The angels are in subjection to him. But we? We are his body. As a bride with her husband, we share in his glory. Here Paul, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22-23, he speaks of when the Father raised the Lord Jesus, our head, from the dead. Quote, He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All things are under his feet, but not his body. He is the head. God has given us a place of honor. Believer in the Lord Jesus, you share in the victory and the celebration and exaltation of the Lord Jesus. The lowliness of the angels in God's presence, face covered or gaze averted, that is not your position in worship. In our earthly worship, we stand here as treasure, welcomed into the closest communion. We are but creatures. We are but redeemed sinners. Yes, but we are his beloved. 
you stand here on earth as those brought near, brought nearest. Your worship is not a place of humiliation or groveling or hoping to become a good enough Christian to finally someday be able to worship rightly. The only requirements for salvation are the Lord's Jesus, God's word, and your need. The only requirements for worship are the same. Come in all need, shame, fear, confusion, coldness. Come with all the hindrances that arise from sin and weakness and opposition. But realize you will not be turned away for any of these. You come for heavenly nourishment on earth. A heavenly knitting you together on earth. You will not be kept at a distance until you sort yourself out. Your God meets you where you are and is ever drawing you nearer, ever working the glory of your heavenly head more richly into your earthly life. You do not need heavenly visions. You do not need heavenly techniques. You do not need heavenly secrets. You need only your heavenly head nourishing you and knitting you together by his word. Working in the earthly ways he has established for the earthly worship he treasures. Do not give up on earthly worship. Your head the Lord Jesus Christ stands in the heavenly place. His order, his liveliness, his glory is at work in your earthly worship. Pray with me. Lord God, you have established the foolishness of preaching. I know not how. I know that you by your spirit and by your word we ask that you would glorify your son in our hearts that we would know him, marvel in him, find in him comfort, find in him greater vistas, things we have not yet asked or imagined. Lord, that you would make us individually magnify him and that you would work together that you would knit from us a display a trumpeting of your son that these ordinary folk with english words gathered at this time and place by mere faith in your son that we would bring the things of heaven Pray in his name. Amen. Please stand.